Well, I've got a huge announcement to make to you today. A huge, huge announcement. Today, we are beginning Romans chapter 2. Hey! You thought it would never come. Well, when you, when you think of finger pointing, what comes to mind? Blame, judgment. You know, one of the verses that's quoted probably more by non-Christians than Christians is what? Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, we hear that a lot today. And so we're going to talk about judgment because uh, Paul begins this chapter on the heels of, you know, pretty sobering words there at the end of chapter 1 with an admonition. And so... uh, Romans 2, verse 1, it says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for in whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. You know, when we point our finger at somebody, there are how many fingers pointing back at us? Three. It's always good to remember, isn't it? It's always good to remember that, you know, when you... Judge somebody else, beware, because you're probably judging yourself at the same time. Years ago, before I got in the ministry, I was working in an office where there was a guy who was really a sharp dresser, and he was sort of the cool dude of the office, you know. And everybody didn't really like him too much because he was a little bit arrogant, and he knew how cool he really was. And one morning, we came to work, and he had missed a belt loop. And I just was taking internal delight at the fact this guy... Missed the belt loop, and it was so obvious, because back then we wore real wide belts, you know. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me. I was a fairly new Christian. The Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, why don't you check your belt? And I felt around, and sure enough, I'd missed the belt loop too. Now, that, that, that's how the Holy Spirit works, and that's really what Paul is saying here. He said, listen, check your own belt before you start commenting about somebody else's. Well, this comes on the heels of Romans chapter 1 at the end where there's this whole catalog of 20 different sins. And, you know, if you read through that list, you can kind of check off quite a few of those that you're, you're guilty of or have been guilty of at one time or another. I mean, things like greed, envy, causing strife, deceitfulness, gossiping, slander. You can go on and on. I mean, all of us at one time or other can say, yeah, that's me. That was me, perhaps. And so, in this particular verse, you know, when it talks about judging, the Greek word literally means to render a verdict, either positive or negative, to make some kind of declaration. And condemn really means to render a guilty verdict. And so, when we're judging, basically we're saying, I'm right and you're wrong. We often say that. We say, I'm righteous and you're not. Or basically, I'm more righteous than you are. And that's really what comes across when we judge somebody. And that's why I think we react to people who, you know, relate to us that way and and other people react to us that way. And and when you think about judging, I mean, obviously it starts in our own households. It starts with our spouses. It starts with our family, children, parents, you know. That's where it most manifests itself, and that's where it's probably most destructive. And so as we think about this today, I just want to encourage you to be open to what God might want to just touch in your life. 
and help you with in that regard. Now, the next verse is a great verse because basically it, it talks about two different types of judgment. And here they are. Verse 2 says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So God's judgment is based on truth. It's based on an all-seeing, all-knowing God who, who, as Jesus says, judges righteous judgment. He judges righteous judgment and not judging after appearances because God sees the heart. You know, the great story in the Old Testament where Samuel goes to anoint David king. Remember that story and how all his brothers passed before Samuel and said, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one. Do you have any other sons, Jesse? Do you have any other sons after seven passed by? And, and God speaks to Samuel, and this is what he says. He says in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 2, verse 7 in 1 Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. He's talking about one of, one of David's brothers. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so there's a contrast between God's judgment that's based on truth. And then in verse 3, he says this. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And so the contrast here is between God's judgment, which is righteous judgment, and our mere human judgment, which is limited, which oftentimes really comes just out of external appearances that are often deceptive because we know there's much more behind. You know, we don't judge a book simply by its cover. And so there's a contrast here of two different types of judgment that Paul is offering. And I find it fascinating that our mere human judgment is many times like wearing tinted glasses, you know. And... uh, and in fact, everything that we perceive is really colored by our own unique cultural identity. That's one thing that really affects us, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, describe that to you. And also the structure of our brain, the structure of our brain, how we're wired. Brain science is proving this over and over again. In fact, I'm going to leave the brain science side of it to Mark, who's kind of a brain science guru. In fact, there was an interesting article. How many saw last Sunday's opinion section in the Star Tribune? Anybody read the Star Tribune? Anyway, the the whole front page was about brain science about how it affects conservatives versus liberals and how our brains literally put us in one camp or another or readily can put us in that camp. But I want to talk about the whole thing of cultural identity because that's probably something we can much more relate to. And, And it has to do with what's called cultural competence. Cultural competence. And here's what cultural competence is. It's understanding and appropriately responding to the unique combination of cultural variables in our relationships with those who are different from us. So, when we wear these glasses, it gives us a perspective that's based on our experience and our upbringing, our parents, you know, how they impact us, our cultural experiences, various things that really have shaped us in terms of how we view others and how we relate to people in the world. And so it's like we have this hidden perspective. This hidden perspective that's shaped by a whole variety of different things. It's shaped by our age. How many of you have had, you know, uh, conflict with age difference? You know that? Yeah. Uh, By religious beliefs. We don't have to go there. By gender. 
We don't want to go there. Uh, education, race and ethnicity, nationality is a huge thing that based on what nationality, what race we're, what ethnicity we're, it, it gives us a glasses through which we view the world in our experience. Career, work experience, economic status, so on and so forth. Can you see that? Are you tracking with me? Can you see how this affects you? My son, uh, Jonathan, is a PhD, and uh, he's an expert in this whole thing of cultural competence. He, he teaches it all over the place. And uh, he happens to have, uh, he and his wife are both educators, and, and they have an interracial marriage. And so they do a lot of team teaching on this as well. In fact, they have a course at Bethel that they teach together about this whole thing of cultural competence and trying to help people understand how the glasses we're wearing, this cultural identity, affects how we view things. Now, you can see the danger here because what happens is when we see people different than what we're coming out of, we can tend to judge them. We can tend to misjudge them. We mischaracterize them, and what happens is there's conflict in relationship because of it. I think we can all agree with that. And, and in a very real sense, you know, we're all ethnocentric, aren't we? We're, we're, we evaluate people and culture based on our standards of our own culture. And we're egocentric, too. We're oftentimes more concerned with ourselves and see things from our perspective much more than we see from somebody else's perspective. And so we can become self-centered. And I'm not going to go too far, more far on this. I want to get back to what we're really wanting to focus on in the Scriptures here. But let me just say this. I think, I believe that this is a cause of a lot of misjudgments in our society today. How many can agree to that? I mean, it has a dramatic effect on the racial and political dialogue in our country. Right now, it's having a dramatic effect. And I believe that, you know, much of the racial and political division in our nation today, in part, is due to the cultural lenses that we all wear. And it's hard to come to grips with that because I know we're so enculturated, it's hard for us to see things the way people who have a different experience see them. And and that's where God comes into it. Amen? That's where we need God's help. God, you have to help us because the division we're facing in relationship, in marriages, in families, and in our nation already comes back to the fact we need Jesus to help us and give us his heart. We need to see what he sees. How many know, you know, when you have a conflict with someone, the best prayer you can pray is, Jesus, show me how you see this person. And it shifts everything around for us. And and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, So now, just so you people wearing red glasses, there's probably more people in this room wearing red glasses. There's also blue glasses. You know, you got the... Republicans and the Democrats, you know, there's all kinds of different glasses that we all wear. How many can say amen or oh me? <laughs> oh me. But the, here's, here's the tragedy. The tragedy is that unwittingly and involuntarily, we have distorted understandings of other people. Now, I'm emphasizing involuntarily and unwittingly, and that's really what bias is. Bias, I just made this little acrostic, blind inaccuracies about someone. Blind meaning we don't realize, we don't see how our distortions are affecting our judgments of people and how we see people. And it's involuntary. We're not aware of it. We're not even aware of it. It just happens. It's beyond our control. That's how oftentimes judgments are formed if we're not relying on Jesus. (laughs) 
That's the distinguishing factor for not relying on Jesus. And so it's like these two guys arguing, is it a six or is it a nine? How many feel like that's your marriage? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Now, I want you you to think of a time. I'm going to get serious here. I want you to think of a time when you were unjustly accused. Maybe you were even condemned for saying or doing something that you didn't do or Maybe you did it, but your intentions were totally different than how it was judged you did or said that thing. What does it feel like to be misunderstood? What does it feel like to be mischaracterized? How did it make you feel? And that, brings, that can bring a lot of different painful stuff, you know, into our life when we think about that and, and how difficult. And then... You know, more than anything, we really, and, and I'm sure you wanted to make it right. You wanted to explain yourself, and it seemed like the more you tried to explain yourself, the deeper the hole got dug. How many of that happened to anybody here? That's what often happens in that situation. Let me turn the table. Now I want you to think of a time when your judgment about a person missed the mark, when you were the one judging, and after the fact, you finally re- you realized you totally had this wrong. You accuse somebody of something they didn't do, or they, or you know, you just had egg on your face. You you just felt so embarrassed and so bad about it. How did that make you feel? Well, all of us know that didn't feel very good either. Doesn't feel very good on either side. Stephen Covey wrote a great book a number of years ago called Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Anybody read that? We got a room of successful people. I can tell. He wrote, and he told about a story when he was on a subway train in New York City one Sunday morning. He was sitting there, and everybody in the train was, you know how it is, Sunday morning, they're laying back, just resting, and maybe reading, and just, it's just a quiet, subdued atmosphere, a peaceful place, and suddenly, a man and two children, uh, a couple of, I think it was two or three children, got on the subway, and the man sat down next to him, and he just sort of collapses next to him, and he's not really paying attention to anything. And the children are just rambunctious. They are fighting with one another. They're loud. They're, they, the whole climate of the, of the train changes. They're yelling back and forth. They're throwing things. They're grabbing people's papers. It was a very disturbing setting. And Stephen Covey's sitting there next to this guy, and this guy is doing nothing about it, who's obviously their dad. And he can just feel the tension in that subway car just rising. He, he just, it, like somebody's going to, you know, blow a gasket here. They, and finally, he tries to control himself and get himself back centered so that he can say something to this man. And he turns to the man, and this, and, and I'm just going to read from what he said. It was a difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive. And so finally, with what I felt like was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and I said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as he came to consciousness of the situation. And for the first time, he spoke and he said, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died almost an hour ago. 
I really don't know what to do, and I'm sure they don't know what to do either. Can you imagine the shift, the shift that takes place when you suddenly realize what you saw outwardly and judged outwardly was happening was something totally different than what God saw and what God knew. And obviously, his heart just immediately did a 180, and he reached out to the guy. He asked if there was anything he could do, and, you know, the, everything changed. Now, sometimes when we're seeking to find out what Jesus is saying to us, sometimes it helps just to engage with the person you're really having trouble dealing with and find out what's really bothering them. I can remember my son, my oldest son coming home from school, really, and he was just ornery as all get out. He was disobeying. How many can agree? And, you know, you just, one of those things like, go lock yourself in the room and don't come out, you know, for like a month. But anyway, and I was really, my, I was getting, getting mad at him, and, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, just engage him. Find out what's going on. And I began to talk to him and found out something really had, tough had happened at school, and he was reacting to what had happened at school, but he was taking it out on us. It's like, you know, you kick the dog because you're mad at your wife, you know, one of those deals. But, and so, you know, just we ask around here a lot, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do about it? And sometimes Jesus chooses to speak to us <laughs> through other people. And so we need to be open to other people. Jesus said this, and he speaks to us through his word. Jesus says in Luke six thirty seven, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. You know, really the opposite of judging is having sympathy and compassion, and that is most often expressed through forgiveness. Just being able to tear up the IOUs. You know, it says in the Proverbs, love covers a multitude of sin. There's something about love, and I think in this situation, you know, the golden rule always applies. It's a good caution, airy uh, reminder. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, do unto others as you would have them doing to you. And so that brings us back to Romans chapter 2. And we just covered the first few verses. And I want to pick up really the last verse, verse 4, but I'll read verse 3. So that when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's a, that is a, that's a life-changing revelation there. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. That's how God relates to us. And so what's Paul saying here? He's saying, think about, think about the sins that you've committed, that you were worthy of God's judgment, and yet his kindness and forbearance and patience turned you to him. That's what changed your heart. It wasn't a divine scolding. It was a divine embrace. When that happens, when God's divine kindness is extended to us, it it changes everything. It removes our right and moral sort of justification to judge somebody else. Because he's saying, think about what you've been forgiven of. Now, you know, there's an actual story Jesus actually tells in the Bible about the parable. Remember the parable of the, the servant who had this huge debt and the king forgave him that debt, like a million-dollar debt. 
And then, so he's been shown tremendous mercy and grace, and then he turns around and meets a fellow servant that just shows him a pittance, and he doesn't forget the guy and throws him in jail. And so, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And what, and what Jesus says there, he, he says in effect, you know, you need to show the same love and kindness that you've received from me to other people. And so it gets back to God, how can you tenderize my heart toward these people I'm having difficult relating to, toward these pe- people I tend to judge? Now, there's a, really a riveting story in John chapter 8, which I think has radicalized many people who have read it for the first time and realize the mercy and the grace of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. It's the story of the woman who's brought in by the Pharisees and teachers, and they throw this woman in front of him who's been caught in adultery, and they say the law of Moses commands that we stone somebody this to death. What do you say? And, and look at Jesus' reaction. Jesus bent down. This is in uh, John 8, 3 to 11, verse 7. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I think, what's he doing? Jesus is kind of doodling around on the ground. What's he doing? And when they kept on questioning him, then he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and began to write on the ground. He takes that pregnant pause. (laughs) Just allow this to sink in. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. When you've been around a while, I think we're hopefully, we've learned a few things. You're a little bit quicker maybe to acknowledge you just don't have it together sometimes. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go away and leave your life of sin. Now, I love this story because it provides an insightful caution for us who are tempted to judge. And there's sort of, I call it the tender, loving care, the TLC approach to judging another person. So first, he takes a time out. Jesus takes a time out. He, he bends down the ground. And he starts to write on the ground. In other words, he's saying, just like James says, listen, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Take a pause. Take a time out. Sometimes when in the heat of a judgment situation, we just need to back off. We just need to take a time out. We need to, we need to get centered and begin to listen. Jesus, what are you saying in this situation? What, what do you want me to do? Don't rush to judgment. It's good to say, you know, before you say it, pray it. Let's say that together. Before you say it, Pray it. That's a good admonition. So then, L, look inside at your own sin. Jesus says, let, let the one, any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. You know, a good prayer is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be a wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The word me or my is used six times in that verse. In other words, three fingers pointing back. God, what are you saying to me about my own sin, my own shortcomings, my own belt? <laughs> you know, what are you saying to me about my belt? And, you know, oftentimes, you know, we can dismiss our sin with an excuse. Well, we can justify by comparing our sin to the sin of somebody else. Well, I'm not as bad as that person, like this, like this uh, 
parable Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that? Oh, I think I'm not like that tax collector. You know, there's a tendency sometimes for us to justify ourselves by comparing what we're doing to somebody else. You know, there's no justification. There's no justification for being sinful, for being judgmental, for being wrong, uh, for having shortcomings. It doesn't have anything to do with that other person. Like Jesus said, you know, to Peter, what does that to do with that? John, follow me. You know, he's saying, follow me. And so it's an act of humility, really. It's an act of humility to take that time out And to look inside and say, God, what are you saying to me about my own life as it relates to this? And really, probably the best test of a judgmental attitude is when we're driving our car. (laughs) You know, I get mad at somebody who, I hate tailgaters. But then I'll tailgate somebody when I'm in a hurry to get somewhere and be (laughs) mad that this slowpoke is holding me up. Somebody cuts in in front of me, I think, that jerk. But then I, blindside, I cut in in front of somebody. How many know? You, this, it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? And oftentimes, I, I don't know, God speaks to me so many times when I'm driving my car. <laughs> you know. You can join my support group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll start a support group. That's a good test. So, and then... The last thing is, we need to correct our course of action. In other words, we need to ask God's help to change our point of view. You take a time out, you look inside of your own sin, and then you do a course correction. You do a course correction. You say, okay, God, how do I need to make a shift here? You know, remember, we're influenced by outward appearances, aren't we? But God looks at the heart. And, and sometimes correcting our course of action means walking away from judgment, just like those people that have dragged that woman in. You just need to walk away from it. Just walk away. That's often good advice. In a heated situation, just walk away. You may say something you regret. You may say something that's harmful. There's all kinds of things that can begin to happen, you know, in that sort of setting. And, and it's interesting. Paul advises in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he talks about don't judge outside people. Don't judge outsiders. He said... What business of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. He's dealing with, talking about a person who's involved in immorality. He said, listen, if you're going to judge everybody, you're going to have to be, get, leave the world because there's judgment you can render, especially to people who aren't, aren't believers. And I always say this, don't expect a person to act like a believer until they are. I think that's good advice. And so what do you do about situations where you really feel an obligation, you feel a compulsion or uh, even the nudging of the Holy Spirit to correct a situation, to render some kind of decision in a situation and to take a course of action where you feel responsible to do something about something you see? Because there are times when we need to speak out in a marriage, in a family situation, at work. There are times when we need to point out a wrong not to condemn, not to render some kind of verdict, but to make it right, to make what's wrong right. And, you know, the best illustration I know of this is the story in Matthew uh, 7 where Jesus is teaching, where Jesus is teaching about the, you know, the, 
the guy who has the beam in his own eye, but he sees the speck in his brother's eye. And it's interesting what he says here. You know, you look at the speck in your, in your brother's eye, but fail to notice the beam in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you have a beam in your eye? You hypocrite, he says. First, now it, this is really interesting. He says, first, take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. Now, here's what we do oftentimes. We pause. We say, God, look at my own heart. We say, but we need to, then we ask, what's the right course of action to take? And many times, we get the speck, we finally get the beam out of our eye, and it's like the irritation is gone, and we let the brother walk away with the mote in his eye or her eye. And there is a responsibility at times where the Holy Spirit would have us do both. You've got to get the beam out of your eye first, deal with your own sin first, but then you need to go to that brother or sister and help them and bring healing to them and bring whatever they need to hear from the heart of Jesus. And that's a difficult thing to do. You need courage from God. You need the grace of God. But there are times when we're responsible to take that TLC approach and do something about what we're seeing. Now, I want to close with a story. I want to close with a story of how God set me up one time and gave me a dramatic 180-degree course correction in my perspective and judgment of another person. It's really an illustration of God's judgment and perspective, how radically different it is from my own mere human perspective and judgment and perspective. One February morning many years ago, I was circling a block in downtown Minneapolis looking for a parking place, and a shabbily dressed man was standing on the street corner as I drove by, and he was causing a scene. He was looked like he was arguing with someone and, and harassing someone. And just down the block, after I passed him, I found a parking place. <clears throat> and so as I exited the car I, and headed for the parking meter, I happened to glance just down the street, and I saw this guy walking my way. And I'm thinking, I want to avoid this guy at all costs. So I went to the parking meter, put the money in the parking meter, and no sooner had I done that, I, and I turned, and the guy was right up, standing right next to me. And he was obviously either on drugs or on alcohol. He was drunk, and his behavior was very erratic. And so I determined right then, I don't want anything to do with this guy. I want to get away from him. And, uh, but there he's standing. He's sort of middle-aged, scraggly beard, uh, unkempt hair, dressed in this long, dirty old winter coat. It's February. And he, he looked at me like he was homeless. And he's moved close to me, and the stench of alcohol and B.O., you know, I just sort of drew back. And he moved toward me as I drew back, and he stuck, I stuck out his hand. He said, can you spare me a dime? He didn't have any teeth. Can you spare me a dime? I'll never forget that to this day. Can you spare me a dime? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, kind of forming a, a, a quick judgment, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to give you some money. You're going to go out and buy some booze, and you're going to continue to harass people. You know, I really don't want to do this. That's what I'm thinking in my own heart. But then I had this other thought, kind of reevaluating, rationalizing, more for my benefit than his. I'm going to give him something. So I reach in my pocket, pull up my wallet, going to give him a couple bucks. I'm going to give him something just to get rid of him and to remove me from this uncomfortable situation. 
That's what I'm thinking to myself. So, so as I'm doing this, just then he says something else to me. And that something else was totally out of the realm of the way I was perceiving things at that time. In fact, it jarred me instantly out of my own judgmental, self-protective, self-centered mindset. One little phrase that he said to me. And you know what he said to me? He said, what I really need is the Lord. I'll tell you, talk about a shift. Instantly, my irritation just was gone. I'd been wearing a button all day trying to witness to people, and I was so discouraged, I took it off. I I wondered, I don't have my, how does he know even to ask that question? My revulsion of him vanished. My judgmental attitude, my desire to get away from him vanished. And instead, I just felt the compassion of God. God's compassion just arising in me toward this poor guy. He's just a little guy. And here's a guy who's desperately looking for God and not a handout. Here's a guy who's looking for peace and not a fight. I mean, all this is just sort of... And with my heart warming to him, I said to him, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and if you really mean what you just said, I can pray for you right now. I tell you, God was just all over this thing. And he said, I do. I want the Lord in my life. I want the Lord in my life. I said, okay. Then I'll lead you in a prayer. The important thing is that you fully agree with the words that you repeat after me. I will. I want the Lord. I said, okay. And so right there on the sidewalk, downtown Minneapolis, just off Hennepin Avenue, I put my arm around this guy and led him in a sinner's prayer. And you think, well, that's pretty amazing. But let me tell you, what he did next after I finished praying It capped off a dramatic turn of events, what he did next. I'll never forget it. And I would have never have imagined it 10 minutes earlier. As soon as we finished praying, he starts, throws his hands up and starts dancing. Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Just like that in the middle of the street. And about that time, I was downtown Minneapolis to pick up my wife Susan. Susan comes out of the building where I was going to pick her up. And here were two guys dancing in the street. (laughs) Now, it's stunning. It was absolutely stunning for me. And it amazes me, to this day, it amazes me how God and His glory sees people differently than we see them. You just don't know what you're seeing. We don't know what we're seeing when we look at other people who maybe are totally different from us, and we don't even want anything to do with them, like me. Here's the the contrast. In my mere human judgment, I saw a drunk guy wasting his life, an harassing, inconvenient nuisance, 
and someone to be avoided. That's what I saw. I'm chagrined to think of it to this day. But God's judgment, based on truth, he saw a prodigal son whom he loved. He saw a suffering soul crying out for help. And he saw someone he came, he came to rescue. He came to rescue. And so I want to introduce you to the man that God loves so much and was so determined to rescue that he used a judgmental, unwilling servant like me to do what God wanted to do. His name is Mike Staley. And long story short, Susan and I found ourselves on the sidewalk in February, a cold February evening, 5.30, 6 o'clock, with this homeless guy rejoicing about his salvation. And, you know, in an effort to do some follow-up, to establish some follow-up for him, here's this new believer. You know, I asked him some questions. I learned he was indeed homeless. I learned that he'd been living in an abandoned house in North Minneapolis. And that that night before, he had prayed and cried out to God. He's freezer and covered in cardboard. Said, God, if something doesn't change tomorrow, I'm going to kill myself. That was his prayer. So he's pouring this out to us. He's sober now. And what in good conscience... You know, I, I thought of that James passage. You know, James says, if any one of you says, go in peace, be warm and be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So Susan and I looked at one another. We said, Mike, come home with us. And Mike got in the car, sat in the back seat, and he had his arms around both of us in the front seat, and the smell was a sweet-smelling savor of Jesus. <laughs> And we took him home, took him upstairs to the bathroom, set your clothes outside the door. He lived with us for five months. Got him a set of teeth from the University of Minnesota. Ended up finding out he was in his late 30s. Been living a rough life. Well, how amazing is God, huh? How amazing is God? He can take us from loathing Someone to loving them. He can do that for all of us here. He can take us from avoiding someone to inviting them home. Can you believe it? I don't know, you know, where each of you are at this morning in your temptations to judge somebody. But being mindful of God's mercy and grace in your life, extended despite your sin, be assured that Jesus can help each of us this morning to extend that same mercy to other people. God's able. God's able to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're able to give us a heart of love for people, even when we would rather judge. And Lord, I'm asking you this morning, God, to touch our hearts as each of us individually know, Lord, what we need from you. As each of us are asking, Jesus, what are you saying to us? And Lord, how do you want to help us, Lord, to get over this hurdle, to get over this barrier, God, that makes us so prone to react and to, to form judgments, Lord, that we know don't please you. And so, God, we're asking you to help us. In the name of Jesus, amen.
That's uh, I mean, that song is, it says a lot, doesn't it? Tom was finishing up and I leaned over to Brendan and I said, you know, I, I think we just have to encourage one another to do business with God this morning. I think Tom, in a masterful way, pastored us into a challenging passage. I think we've all been judged and I think we've all judged. Fair enough? So there's a tension, though, that I love Tom's story. There's a tension that we need to step into. It's a tension of letting go of our judgment, but stepping into the judgment that the Lord wants us to walk in, not in a critical way, but in an edifying way. Because had not Tom stepped into that tension in that moment with Mike, who knows what would have happened. And I, I think there's a number of us holding some tensions in relationships where we felt like we've had conversations where we've judged wrongly and it's gone bad and so the, the tendency is to let go of that tension then and step out of the relationship and not stay in it and I think the Lord has us in it for good so I just want to pray for us as we continue to worship to step into the tension with Jesus is that okay can we do that Lord we hear you really clearly and we know when we read the book it's it's there's so many places where we're supposed to exhort one another, to help one another. We've got to take a speck out of another's eye. And to be honest, Jesus, it's, it's tricky. You know this about us. So why we continue to worship you, the one who death could not hold down, sin could not grip, would you also release our heart into the life, into the way, and into the truth? We'd be really grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.